Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy and Kurt Levins. Hey, guys. Afternoon, David and Kurt. Hey, David and Bruce. Hey, guys. You're both looking very well lit today, I must say. <laughs> got excellent lighting. This is natural light. I haven't got my normal lights on. I don't need them, I don't think. Yeah, it looks, and yeah. Bay, bay window in the middle of the afternoon. Usually it's midnight when we're doing these podcasts, or it was during that series. It's the West, Ki- West Coast light filtering in off the ocean for me. So. Yeah, the little uh, Lotus Land glow. Anything All that right. can improve this face is a good thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I think we could all join in that for each and every one of us here. <laughs> Although, you know. All right. Um, we're going to do a, uh, a quick podcast here, but it won't be quick, knowing the three of us. But we're going to do a podcast here between games podcast because there's a few days here between the games. It's not till Wednesday night. And uh, we're going to, the focus of this podcast will be two things each, two good things each that give us hope based on the last series against the Los Angeles Kings. And um, the we'll go with one thing that each gives each of us some dread heading into this series about the, against the Vegas Golden Knights. I should add that, gents, if you are to believe the fans in Las Vegas we are really, really up against it, against the Vegas Golden Knights. They, they refer to the team in Vegas, the, the fans are, they call it VG, VGK in their, uh, when they refer to the Knights, they go VGK all the time. Vegas so, Golden Knights. It's, it's yeah. like New York Islanders or New Jersey Devils have those. Yeah, and that's generally how they refer to the team. Anyway, they, there was a fan there. Um, there's not a huge online fan base there. But there's one fan, and I just did a post on this. Uh, his name's Tyler Cash, and he did a, a poll. 89% of respondents felt that VGK was going to win this series, with uh, 78% saying six to seven games and 9% saying four to five games. So it just goes to show that all fan bases are hugely optimistic at this time of year, especially coming off first round victories. I think that if you did a similar poll in Edmonton, you would get similar results um, with um, Edmonton. Um, maybe not quite that optimistic in Edmonton, but I suspect maybe so. There was another poll by Eric Friesen, who's an owner fan, and he, and he found that um, uh, 82% of respondents, and these are mainly Euler fans, 82% of respondents thought the Kings would present a tougher battle than the Vegas Golden Knights. Just 19, excuse me, 81% for thought the Kings would be and 19% thought the, the, the Golden Knights would be a tougher out. And I, I do not agree with that at all. I think the Knights are going to be all that the Oilers can handle and, and maybe a bit more. I'm predicting the Oilers in six. But uh, what do you think on that, that second question, uh, gents? Um, who will be a tougher out? in the end for the Oilers, if in fact they can get the Vegas Golden Knights out, uh, LA or, or uh, Vegas. Bruce? Yeah, when when was this poll done? Just this weekend. It's oh, just, so it's, between it's the just series. Going now. Oh. Yeah. Hey, LA is done. We beat LA. Uh, Vegas is a problem now, and it's a big problem. And if you think this is going to be an easy series, they finished first in the West uh, in the regular season. The funky thing that is the NHL that is so worried about seedings and stuff that in the playoffs, 
They'll play two wildcard teams out of their conference against the opposite con- or division champions, out of their division. That's how they are about seedings. Yet in the next round, they got no problem with number one against number two, which is what we have here. So the Oilers, uh, you know, they finished ahead of uh, both teams in the other Western series. But here we are on the road playing against the number one team. But uh, you're going to take them on as they come and beat them as they come. And uh, they've... Uh, they got their hands full. Vegas is deep. They got uh, their third deep pairing. I think is way better than LA's, and and uh, yeah. uh, I think their forward lines are uh, are pretty solid up and down. Like they got pairings. They got four good pairings of forwards that play together a lot, and they, uh, you know, and they're they're going to create uh, they're going to create headaches. Could, yeah, I. I picked uh, the Oilers to beat the Kings in six, and in my column this past Sunday, I picked the Oilers to beat Vegas in seven. Tend to agree with Bruce. I think Vegas is going to be a tougher nut to crack, although certainly not insurmountable. Uh, When you look at the regular season series between the two, they matched up very well. Um, And there's there's a number of things in the lineup where I think the Oilers have decided advantages. And I think where Vegas has advantages, they're rather narrow. Uh, and so while, yeah, absolutely a tough match, a little tougher than L.A., I still think if the Oilers play the way the Oilers can play, they will beat uh, a very good uh, Vegas team in a long series. All right, let's go with uh, something that gives you hope right now. Uh, we'll start with you, Bruce. What do you? What's given you some hope for this coming series? Well, one thing that's giving me hope is the Oilers' continuing ability to uh, play well when their star players are not on the ice. And that uh, that was a big turnaround in this regular season. I wrote about it uh, uh, partway through the season and again later, and I'm sure we discussed it here a couple times. But when Connor and Leon, here we had a series where they, they started apart, but they wound up playing together. And... When they were together, they outscored LA 5-3. When Connor was apart, it was three against him, 1-4. And he was having some problems. And I think that's why they actually got put together after after game three. And uh, Leon without Connor was 5-4-2 against. Uh, But here's the key one, and it has been key to the season. When both of them are on the bench, Edmonton 4, LA 3. And, you know, they, they, they held their own or they a little bit won that part of the game. And it was uh, the last three years, it was like 40%, 38% when those guys were uh, on the bench. And, you know, they'd have to play half the game and score at 60% to make up for it. And that's asking a lot. Whereas this year, the depth of the Oilers and the performance right down the lineup. And some of that is Connor and Leon themselves filling in on the fourth line and making it ultra dangerous. And some of it is, is having lines like the third line that even if they're not scoring, they're not giving up anything. And that was, I thought, huge to uh, uh, to Oilers' success in that series. And it's continuing a trend that we've noticed all year. And if that works in the playoffs, man, you're in very good shape. Yeah, the Oilers got a got a point from every skater in in round one except Philip Broberg, and that's 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 pretty good, you know. It's uh, so I, I agree with Bruce. It's uh, it's significant. Yeah, I think that in, in Vegas, I've been reading, um, listening to the Vegas podcast to get some insight into what the media people and super fans there are saying on podcasts. And they're one of the things they think is a huge advantage for 
for Vegas is their their depth on the third and fourth lines. And I got a, it's like newsflash. Um, haven't you seen what's, I mean, the owner's third line, Fogel, um, Ryan, McLeod, is, has been really strong. And then you put McDavid or uh, Dreisaitl on the uh, fourth line, and it just has transformed the orders uh, in that situation as well. I don't really see, I'm more worried about this order's second line than I am about the third yeah. and the fourth lines. That's where Vegas might be able to have some advantage. But no, I, I agree with you, Bruce. Like um, the orders without McDavid and Dreisel on the ice, like there were games where the orders were protecting a lead where I kind of dreaded. McDavid and Dreisaitl on this because they're such offensive players and sometimes they forget their defensive responsibilities where I had full trust in the McLeod line, uh, for instance. I just, when when Derek Ryan was on the ice, I thought those other guys are not scoring. That guy is such a smart player and, and um, you know, um, Fogel's the same way. Fogel's become such a strong two-way player that I just, I, I felt super sure. Now that, you know, I'll, I'll get to Drysaddle's uh, more, more most recent defensive performance, but that that was my feeling at times during the season, during the series. Kurt, what is your um, what is your uh, thing that gives you hope? First thing, um, down the middle, uh, particularly center ice. I I think uh, I, I mentioned the Oilers have a few significant advantages over Vegas. This is one of them. Um, if you see a lineup in Game One that goes. Uh, McDavid, Drysaddle, Bukestad, McLeod. And I think that's probably what you'll see in game one. I think you'll see those four guys lining up at center ice. I will take that over Jack Eichel, Chandler Stevenson, William Carlson, Nicholas Waugh every day and twice on Sundays. And I don't mean any disrespect to those guys in Vegas, but I think it's a clear advantage for the Oilers. And you get, you know, snippets of Derek Ryan, who I think likely is to play wing, but he'll take some, you know, some key draws and things like that. Um, I think those four centermen with their com- combination of speed and skill and ability in, in, in the face-off dot, I think is a decided edge for this team. And, and, and I know a lot of people are saying, well, you know, Mark Stone is, is a great defensive player. He absolutely is one of the finest in the NHL. But I always think it's more difficult to take away the offense of an opposing player when you don't play their position. When you're asking a winger... Uh, to to negate you know the game uh, of a center iceman, I think it's certainly not impossible, but it's more difficult, right? Um, and and physically, I I think that Leon Drysaddle stacks up against Mark Stone just fine. And in terms of uh, McDavid and Stone, I think McDavid, from a speed and ability standpoint, isn't in trouble either. So I think those one, two, three, four slots down the middle at pivot uh, give me fair modicum of confidence that the Oilers can pull this off in, in the seven games that I think it'll take. Yeah, I thought actually, well, Kurt, it's interesting because I thought actually Kopitar and Deneau were much better last year in the playoffs than this year. And I'm quite worried about the Vegas centers. If I think that's a real area of strength on that team. And yes, when you have McDavid and Dreisaitl at center, I mean, it's kind of hard to beat that. And and um, McLeod uh, is no slouch. Bukestad's no. These are good. These are good hockey players as well. But I just think um, you might be right about the. I'm going to say you are right about the gap between the two groups. Edmonton has the superior group, 
But the Vegas group of of centers, I mean, people in Vegas are over the moon about how Chandler Stevenson and William Carlson played against the Winnipeg Jets right now. Yep. They thought those two guys just crushed it. We're the best. We're the best Vegas players. Yeah, and then but there's the Winnipeg Jets. <laughs> yeah, it's the Winnipeg Jets who are tough. That's a good team. So I, I'm just saying, just listening to them. This isn't something I would have said before yeah. I listened to the Vegas guys. But they're they're like they're they're saying a few things. Like this is the healthiest the, the Knights have been in forever. Okay. And these there's and they they thought I, Eichel stood up to the test of the first round of the playoffs that he got that he got uh, better as it went along. Uh, it, it's going to be a, a chore for Eichel, I think, defensively, because he's one of these guys who's grow, you know, all his life, puck on a stick, puck watching. I'm just, you know, he's going to have, he's going to be a, if he can't play defense, if he can't step up on defense the way McDavid and Drysaddle have learned to do uh, in recent playoff years, Vegas is in trouble. But um, I think Carlson and um, and Chandler Stevenson will have that down. And Nicholas Roy, I mean, he scored a huge goal in overtime against the Oilers. He's a scary. He he's a good two way hockey player as well. So I think they're all third line centers. I love that. Mm-hmm. I hope they are. Even Eichel, not Eichel. No, no, Eichel's yeah. Eichel's a first line. All those other guys. Yeah. Okay. I hope. I hope you are right. I'm just going on what they're saying in Vegas. There, <laughs> Kurt. Just if you're just listening to this, Kurt just made the uh, crossed fingers. Like hope, the uh, hope. Good luck, Mark. I'm pretty confident um, though. My uh, my good thing is Bruce. Do you want to weigh in there? Uh, yeah, Go those ahead. are pretty good three C's: Chandler Stevenson and William <laughs> Carlson. I mean, ideal. If you've got a really deep team, there one of them is their three C, and the other ones are two C. And Jack Eichel is. Uh, uh, he's definitely a one C, and uh, I've been watching them a little bit more lately. I'm uh, the one thing that surprises me about Eichel is how fast he is, and how, you know he's 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 got some uh, uh, he he's got you know not quite lightning in his boots, but he's not he's not big and slow and deliberate. He uh, he can really move out there and make plays as he goes, and uh, it's going to be fun to finally see him against Connor. Uh, after all these years, after the 2015 draft, here we here we are, David and and uh, Eichel, and I kind of hope they match up against one another. I was way Go more ahead. worried about LA's centers. Colton yeah, Tarr is old, man. <laughs> he looked old to me, especially and, uh, after Game Three, right? Yeah. All right. Well, we we shall see. We shall see. My my uh, first thing that gave me hope was. So last year in the playoffs, Connor McDavid went, as, as we all say now, supernova. This year, Leon Dreisaitl has done so, and especially in game six. I thought he played the best defensive game I've ever seen Leon Dreisaitl play. I'm going to be writing a post about this because I went through the video again. I just wanted to make sure that I was right about that and that I maybe had, you know, maybe I just saw a few things that made a big impact on me, but no, I was right about that. He won almost every single battle that he, that he, that he had in the defensive zone. And he, and he did so because he cheated for defense. He put defense first in that game. He was often the first man back um, uh, on the, uh, on the back check. He was con and he, and when he came back, he came back with a mission. He was charging back and hacking down Kings players legally. He was using his feet to defend instead of his stick. He wasn't trying to knock down passes um, in the defensive zone. 
um, that were, you know, going to shoot by him. He was covering his man. When Leon Dreisaitl plays like that, we all, you know, we know the offensive uh, thrust that he provided in the playoffs um, has just been outstanding. It's been outstanding two years in a row. But defensively, he wasn't able to do it last year because he was injured. Um, this year, he is. And if he's playing like that, if he continues to put defense first like that, man, the Oilers are going to be hard to beat in these playoffs. It's it's the thing that gives me hope they're going to win the Stanley Cup. You know, in the Gretzky era, it was the case that the better player in the playoffs, the better center in the playoffs, was more often than not Mark Messier than Wayne Gretzky. And it's because when the going got tough, Messier had the size and the ferocity and the intensity to fight through it. It's just the way playoff hockey is, and this is no slight on Wayne Gretzky at all. But Mark Messier, and he won the Conn Smythe one of the years, and I think in, in a number of the years, he was the go-to. He was the guy in the playoffs, and I think we're going to see the same dynamic sum up somewhat if the Oilers go forward with Dreisaitl and McDavid. I've thought this for a long time. We didn't see it. We haven't seen it, uh, except in 2017. We didn't see it in the in the playoff years between then and now, and I'm not quite sure why a couple years, but last year, obviously, because Dreisaitl was hurt. He just couldn't mount that kind of game. He's fully healthy now. I've never seen him skate better than I saw him skate in game six. I've never seen better defensive intensity. And if he brings that, if he keeps bringing that, uh, good luck any team that faces Leon Dreisaitl right now. He's playing phenomenal. I've been sort of loosely doing the Messier comp to him for basically all this time in that the, from 2015, the trio of uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl and Nurse have loosely reminded me of the trio of Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier and Kevin Lowe that all came to training camp together in 1979. I kind of hope to see the team coalesce around them in a similar fashion. It's taken a little longer, let's put it that way. Uh, but there's still hope. And uh, 29, like if there's one thing that I haven't been concerned about this year that was that he wasn't going to dial it up at playoff time. I just yeah, knew it was going to Messier did that every single year that he was here. His playoff, his stats were better in the playoffs when most guys' scoring stats were, you know, usually dropped by 10% in a per-game basis, and his were going up because he just dialed his game up to that level. And the careless mistakes... Uh, didn't completely disappear, but they were were minimized. And he, when he was one on one with the guy, and he was he was focused and determined to get that puck. Well, guess what? He usually got that puck. And I see the same with Leon. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I see Leon in a very similar light, David. I agree with you. And I kind of this is where I I kind of veer back to my point on Vegas centers. If we look at the LA series, if we agree that Leon Drysaddle was a ten. Well, then I'd say Connor was probably an eight and a half in that series. He was really good, but not great to transcendent, right? Um, but I think a huge amount of the time, uh, Connor was skating around with two guys <laughs> on his tail. They they had two layers of coverage on him all the time. Yeah. But I also thought LA had the superior defensive forwards to do that job. I don't think, and Vegas is very deep at forward, but I don't think they have the same quality of, of defensive forwards. And I think that as a result, Connor's going to have a little bit more room. Um, and that in turn sets up Leon Dreisaitl for a huge series. Because if Connor is able to crank it up another level uh, and Vegas has to pay even more attention to him, 
Well, then, as you say, Leon Dreisaitl's already playing maybe the best hockey of his career. If he gets more room, look out. So I, I agree with your assessment on number 29. Do you think they're going to go 11 and 7 then, Kurt, or 12 and 6? I think at the start, they'll go 12 and 6. I'm okay. pretty confident of that. Cool. Landmark's All right. ready? Is yeah. Janmark ready to go? Well, that's what I've heard, that he, he was... If he's ready, and I think so, 12, 6 as well. I hear he's ready to go, and there's and I, I, as I wrote on Sunday, I don't think you could look at that game six on Sunday and pick out a forward you'd pull out of the lineup, so I think it would be Broberger, DeHarnay, right? Yeah. Yeah. Bruce, what's your second uh, thing that gives you some hope here? They could use his help on the penalty kill as well, but yeah, my second good thing, uh, I'm going to going to go to numbers as I usually do, but to frame a, the issue... Looking at from the first round of the playoffs, the uh, penalty kill percentage by team, 16th and last were the Los Angeles Kings with a lovely 43.8% uh, penalty kill, which of course is the inverse because they only played one team, of the 56.3% uh, power play efficiency that the deadly Edmonton Oilers unit put up in that series. So let's wander all the way up from 16th to 15th. And here we find Vegas Golden Knights had a 58.3 kill rate against Winnipeg Jets in the first round of the playoffs. And I'm thinking that uh, them, there's gold in them there, Hills. <laughs> I agree, Bruce. It's it's They're worried about this in Vegas a lot. What they do say is if you look, um, um, Vegas... I think the uh, I can't remember uh, Jesse Granger is for the Athletic. He re he did he reported these stats. I read they're available post. to everyone. But the, Vegas is the least penalized team in the NHL, and they get the most penalties called against them. Now he credits that with people in Vegas will say it's because Vegas defends by moving their feet. They're a very disciplined team uh, uh, um, that doesn't reach and doesn't stick people. They they get in in, in front of you like Leon Dreisaitl did in Game Six. They use their feet and they get in front of you. That may be the case. It's kind of weird, though, that there's a team that draws the most penalties and takes the least penalties. I mean, uh, I don't know. I'm not saying that I don't know what's going on with that, but it, that did strike me as awfully um, monumentally good refereeing uh, from the from the Vegas perspective. But um, they might not get the orders might not get a lot of power plays against Vegas if if the regular season trend holds true. Well, they got a lot against L.A., and they got nine goals. <laughs> <laughs> Good comeback, Bruce. Good rejoinder. Indeed, indeed. It's unreal. It's, it's, and it's like, can it continue? You know, can this continue? Like, it's just so it – not obviously, it would be really difficult to keep clipping along at 55 60%, but – 33 from the regular season sounds that would be good, good to me. Yeah, me too. Kurt, your uh, second good thing that gives you hope. Confidence. Um, going into series number one against LA, I don't think uh, any Oiler was under any false impression that LA was going to be anything but damn tough. Um, I think they went into that series anticipating a real battle. That's what they got in fairness to the LA Kings. But I think having started that series, shifted their tactics somewhat when they fully understood what LA was coming at them with, and then dispatching them in six games, I think they can look at themselves in the mirror, shake their heads up and down and say, okay, job done. Um, and I think that's a, that's a huge um, vote of confidence heading into round two. Now you may say, oh, Vegas is going to say, say the same thing after first round win. Okay, that's fair. 
Uh, I then refer back to the season series against against uh, these two teams. And of the four games, the Oilers won three of the four, including both of them in Vegas. So sure, Vegas, you know, by by finishing ahead of the Oilers by two points, get home ice advantage. I think there's lots of evidence so far in these playoffs that home ice advantage doesn't mean squat to anybody. Um, but let's say it was an advantage to to Vegas. Well, in the season series, it was no advantage. It was no real advantage at all. The Oilers won both times there. Uh, so I think they've dispatched a an opponent that they felt was really going to be tough, and they're moving on to a team who I think they feel pretty confident that they match up well against. And on a team like the Oilers with so many offensive tools, if you're feeling it, if you're confident, that's a pretty dangerous combination. That I completely agree with. I remember well that last game in uh, Vegas where the Oilers really ran their show to the tune of seven to four and they were just... They were on another level for the whole second period, as I recall, basically. And they just, I think they scored four goals in that one frame. And, and uh, uh, they had the puck for about 17 and a half of the 20 minutes, it seemed like. And uh, it was, uh, uh, you'd like to think that the most recent game is the, is the best evidence. But the other ones were all, I think, 4-3, and two of them went into overtime. And yep. uh, the thing is, Edmonton hasn't lost a game in Vegas uh, in this decade. I, I was at the last game where it was lost in Vegas. Of course, I picked that one. And it was uh, it was in 2019. And uh, uh, since then, the Oilers have swept the season series there in, I guess, it's two years because uh, – uh, they had uh, one year where they were in the silos and we didn't play them at all. Uh, and I think during the uh, COVID season, they might have played once. But I think they won five in a row, Edmonton, in, in Vegas. So they're not intimidated by the building, let's put it that way. So my second thing that gives me hope is I'll just build on what you're saying, Kurt. I think most of the Oilers players will have like arrows pointing up in terms of increased confidence as they were before the Kings series. Most, but not all. But two of them that I, I do think answered some questions for themselves against um, uh, Los Angeles are Darnell Nurse and Evander Kane. Nurse really struggled um, in the middle in a couple of the middle games in this series. He was running all over the place. He was trying to do too much, and he was making major mistakes that was costing his team uh, goals against and unforced errors. But in the in, in the last game especially. I thought the last game was the best playoff game that Darnell Nurse has ever played, easily. And um, his defensive play, um, he was shutting them down constantly. He was in tough because he, the line he was out there with that night was often the Bugstad line, and Cody Cece didn't have a particularly good night. But he did. And the reason they didn't score was because of him. He was shutting those guys down in the slot because he stayed in the defensive slot. He was in position that game. And he was, he, he like Drysdale, so fast to pucks, so quick to pucks, getting there first, constantly getting there first, beating the opposition players to it. And if, and if he didn't, taking it off them or blocking their way to the net. Um, he rushed the puck a couple times effectively, but that wasn't the, the aspect of, the, uh, of his game. He rushed the puck on the winning goal, as a matter of fact. It was his sure, great rush yeah. up the ice that, that triggered that whole play. Yep. But but he was he was outstanding, 
So the fact that he reached that level after cratering, essentially maybe having his worst game of his career in what was it, game four, um, he came back and played a lot better. So um, I'm not sure if it was four or five, but it was was a really quick turnaround for Nurse. That's got to give him confidence and and his his coach's confidence because I it's hard to imagine they weren't a little bit concerned with with what was going on out there. The second player who stepped up was Evander Kane, and now Kane we know has had two major injuries: the wrist cutting and I think he had broken ribs, and missed a lot of time this this season. Apparently, Braden McNabb of the Knights has broken ribs right now. By the way. Yep. Um, so Kane missed a lot of time, and when he came back, he was not good for at least a month. And then, as the regular as the regular season was coming to an end, he had some good games mixed some, mixed with some indifferent performances. His um, his hands around the nets still don't seem as sharp as they were, but his outside shot is evidently there. He can still really drill the puck. But what he brings, what he brings to the Oilers is. He is the most, I, I'm not sure about this because I haven't seen all the teams closely, but he may be the most intimidating player in the NHL. He, the other players, the other teams fear him. And when he's on the ice, it just adds an aspect to the orders that they otherwise, that you, it is essential to winning a hockey game in the playoffs is that physical intimidation of the other team. He's bringing it. And he was tossing off the Kings like they were, it was like a, a boy throwing uh, children around at times. Um, his play in that regard, the fact that even though he's banged up apparently right now, he's fought through a number of injuries. Like the fact that he's doing this and playing at a high level of two-way play just is just really encouraging because Kane in the playoffs last year at times was the Oilers' best player in a number of games. And he hasn't quite reached that level yet, but um, he's getting there. And if he can bring that against Vegas, there, there is no answer to that. Do they have a player who can stand up to Evander Kane physically? Do they have, you know, is is the the what he brings going to pervade the game when he's on the ice and make the just have the the Vegas backing away? I hope so. We've seen that in other playoff series with the Oilers. Again, Messier. We also saw it with Chris Pronger the last time the Oilers made the Cup final. They had that player in Pronger, and I think they have it now in Kane. So. That's my other, that's my second encouraging thing. Well, David, I can tell you that um, uh, the Oilers this year with, uh, 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 against the Kings, uh, they played two games without Kane. They lost both games, uh, three to one and six to three. And then they had Kane back towards the end of the season. They played LA twice in a row and they beat him two nothing and three one. And, but what they did was they got into the trenches with LA and I thought they were the they were the tougher team in those two games. And I also thought they were the tougher game in this first round series. And again, Kane, of course, now he's played eight games against the Kings this year and the orders are six and two in those games and oh and two in the two that he missed. And I, I, I think that's one team for sure that he's got into the heads of I know of their fans. And there there's uh I remember he did this Last year when he scored the empty net goal at game six, we're going to game seven, folks. And, of course, we Oilers won game seven. And uh, uh, now it's, uh, you know, it's two years in a row. And and, uh, uh, you can bet that uh, uh, he's had an effect on both series. 
And this year, I thought he played better as the series got deeper. I thought he was looking, you know, not his full self at first. And then he scored big, big goal in game four to tie it late. And then he scored a, a, a goal in, in uh, game five. And it's just game, his game just seemed to be coming around and coming up a bit. And, you know, last game he made a couple big defensive plays. So it's... Uh, uh, He's one guy, at least, that seems to be uh, it seems to be getting stronger and better. And let's hope he can bring the same level of game uh, up to up to Vegas in terms of getting in their faces and getting them off their game. What I like about the two players that you picked, David, is that I think in the playoffs, uh, to a large extent, uh, teams succeed if they have uh, talented players who really excel in the rough going. And I think both Nurse and Kane, when they're on their game, are those guys. They are playoff performers. That's that's how they're meant to play. And so I agree. If both of those guys have arrows pointing up, that's a good sign. Leon, too. Yeah, and Leon. And to yeah. some extent, McDavid. He's a big guy, and he's got some ferocity. Like, this is... This team is not going to get pushed out of the playoffs by any team. And it's interesting to see Matthew, Matthew Kachuk and his performance against the Boston Bruins, as opposed to his performance just last season against the Edmonton Oilers, where he disappeared in that season series because of, I think, because of Evander Kane. Evander Kane got in Matthew Kachuk's head, took him out of that series. And that didn't happen against the Boston Bruins, and he took over that series. I mean, he, he was outstanding. So maybe he learned something, Kachuk, but he's one of the players who, who has that aspect to him as well, who's kind of a fearsome, intimidating player. And um, it's good to have those players. They're rare in the NHL. Um, they, they, you know, there's usually three or four at any one time in the league, and you want one of those guys on your team. Let's go to the things that give us dread. Bruce? Yeah. <clears throat> well, I'm going to go to my old standby injuries that always dread is some part of some possible future. Uh, where something happens and you lose a, a player or players for a short or long term and you lose a bunch of players at one position, right? And every team has to face these fears. Uh, I'm happy that Oilers got through the first round of the playoffs with their entire uh, decor still intact. Uh, and those guys, the main ones of them, have played it all season long. CC missed two games for uh, for childbirth, you know, and that was the only one of the top five that missed a game. And so that's that's been great. Uh, up front, like my concern that they always put Leon with Connor to uh, when when uh, Connor got banged up a little bit. Uh, it certainly solved an issue on the first line, but my concern is the second line. That's also a little bit related to injuries, and in that we don't know what's going on with uh, any of uh, of uh, uh, Hyman or Nugent Hopkins. Uh, and there, you know, there were signs, you know, they were off their games at times and four significant times in the first round series. And we don't quite know why, uh, but we do know that line would be a lot stronger with Leon down the middle and Connor up front on the other line. And I think against Vegas, that is the more ideal thing. So the question is, are these guys healthy enough to deploy in their in their strongest uh, fashion. 
and that's i guess it's 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 sort of a perm of fear but it's always the reality you know and any coach worth his salt will tell you we'll uh, we'll go with the players that we got no matter what happens they'll uh, uh they'll keep on going but uh uh i want to see the orders with their absolute strongest lineup all the way right i mean that's 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 what you want and uh so the fear is something's going to prevent that from happening and last year, that's what happened, right? Dry Seidel and Nurse, they, they played through it. They toughed it out, but uh, they weren't uh, near the top of their physical games. Yeah, all due respect to Ryan Murray, but he hasn't <laughs> played all year. And when he did play, he wasn't great. And I'm like, the, the defensive depth, the Oilers have fairly decent forward depth, I think. They could, you know, it's not, they, you don't want to lose anybody, obviously, and right. certainly not McDavid or Dry Seidel, but the forward depth is less of a concern. But you get past Philip Broberg, and then you're at Marcus Niemelainen or um, or Murray, and um, I'm a little worried about that. Demers, yeah. On Ryan Murray, I'm told he played one game in Bakersfield and started having burners again and got shut down. Oh, so then it's Marcus Niemelainen. And, and Jason Demers. And Jason Demers. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, Demers might might figure it out. Like, he is a veteran player who played apparently played quite well in, in Bakersfield this year, but... Um, yeah, so that's a little bit of a. I agree, Bruce. That's a big worry. Um, Kurt, uh, what's my big concern? Yeah, I'm seriously concerned, and I'm really only seriously concerned about one thing about Las Vegas. But I do think it has the potential to turn the series in their favor, and that's why I'm so worried about it. And that's the Vegas forecheck. We're coming out of a series where we played L.A., and L.A. and Vegas are, they couldn't be much different, but especially in this aspect. Uh, we saw that 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 one three one forecheck from L.A. on display through all six games. Vegas is different. They've got a 2-1-2. They come hard, and their forward ranks are quick, and they're heavy. Um, and while I feel that... Uh, the Oilers' defense handled L.A. just fine. I don't have the same degree of confidence with Las Vegas. And I'll be watching two players in particular. One, you're probably predicting that I'll say, which is Vincent Deharnier, who I have all the time in the world for. But at times, his lack of foot speed was exposed against L.A., particularly a little earlier on in the series. These guys are going to be coming faster and harder, particularly faster at Big Vin. Uh, so he's going to be a guy to watch. The other guy is Evan Bouchard, who, look, Evan Bouchard had a fabulous series. I think next to Leon Dreisaitl, he might have been the Oilers' MVP of that series. You know, 10 points in six games. Um, but if you're suddenly putting a hard forecheck on the tail of Evan Bouchard, who, in my books at least, doesn't play with the maximum amount of intensity to begin with. I think we could see some problems back there. Um, he is really going to have to have his head on a swivel and really is going to have to be playing with great intensity in order to handle that Vegas forecheck. I've got a higher degree of confidence. The other guys, both Ekholm and Nurse, skate really well and can handle the heavy going. Brett Kulak is a Kulak is a fabulous player who had a fabulous series against LA. I think CC should be fine. Um, it's DeHarnier and Bouchard that I'm worried about. Uh, and I think, as I said, it's the one place where I think the Golden Knights 
could take advantage of Edmonton. So I'll be watching and crossing my fingers. Yeah, I just thought it was such an advantage for the Oilers in the end with the Kings hanging back every time. Anytime they, it felt like the game might be in doubt, the Oilers would have all this time just to reset in their own zone, no pressure, bring the puck out. You could stand there in front of your goalie and do a little jig and and look around and see who you could pass to. I just thought, man, that is a... I know that Todd McClellan thought that was the best strategy to win. I don't know if it was. I, I even, think even in la- game five, when we had a lead, they played the one three one. I don't think it I just I just think to beat the Oilers, Kurt, you you've made a good point. To beat the Oilers still, you want to get in there on the forecheck on these Oilers. Yeah. That's how you, you want to play in Edmonton's end of the ice. And to the extent that the Oilers got it in their heads, oh, we have to dump it in now and then. Like there were some plays where they didn't you know, where someone would take it up and they turn it over. But generally speaking, even the best players on the team were dumping it in McDavid and Dreisaitl. And because of that, the Kings strategy, I just don't think it worked at all. I just, I, I think they would have had a better chance. Now this is the, maybe their, this is how the style they're used to and the style they know, but the Oilers solved it. And I think you can't solve chaos. You can't solve speed and size. You, you can't solve aggressive forechecking. I guess what you do is you attack, counterattack as fast as you can up the ice, and the owners are really good at that. I mean, that's that's how you stop the press in basketball with your own fast break. Same in hockey, but and the owners are really good at that. But there could be major trouble uh, out of this, Kurt. I I agree. And the other thing I should add to that is they're going to need serious puck support too, because their defensemen are going to have that half a second less, I anticipate, which means your guys who are normally ready to go in the attack. They've got to be back just a little further, a little quicker. And I think that'll have an impact on the game. Yeah, well, they, they've got uh, – uh, I, I like Bouchard uh, f- for the reason that he's the guy most likely to burn them with that pass when That's they're true. coming in hard on the forecheck. And I also like, Kurt, his progression uh, in terms of, uh, of intensity level or alertness level uh, – and I've seen him go back harder on retrievals, and I think that's that's a big thing. That's not just to, you have to get to the puck first. You want to get to the puck first and actually have a half a second of get your head on a swivel and find the guy up the ice, right? You would know this as a D-man. Hustle hard back on the puck and give yourself as much time as possible. I'm seeing more of that from, uh, from Bush and uh, uh, on a more consistent level. And then, as I say, when you give him that, time to look or he gives himself that time to look all the better uh he's going to make that pass a lot of the time yeah and he can just put it over to Ekholm, which is a great security well, that's a nice right? option. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he did that with duncan keith last year and yep. keith isn't is a is not the player that Ekholm is today like Ekholm is such a yep. f- fantastic player Ekholm is the, that kind of defense defensive defenseman who and he's really moving the puck well. Okay, um, in some ways you've you've touched on some of the things I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about four players who I think whose arrows are either sideways or down confidence-wise because of their performance. Um, and, and I, you know, I, well, maybe not their confidence. Certainly their performance was down. Hyman, Nugent Hopkins, DeHarnay, and Skinner. So I'll go through. So Hyman, I think, is his pro- only problem, I'm guessing, is physical. I saw him kind of limping to the bench obviously after one shift in the last game he does not look right physically he about half about two-thirds through the way he started to fade through the regular season he started to fade quite noticeably 
And then he took some time off and he came back strong, but he looks like to me, like whatever was maybe whatever is bothering him has been re-aggravated. He's not playing with the same determination, speed, um, success that he had earlier this year. He's playing hurt. Um, that's obvious to me. Nugent Hopkins, he's an inconsistent player at even strength. He's had good playoffs at even strength, good games at even strength, and he's had really poor games at even strength. In the Winnipeg series, um, he was both really good and really bad. The last game, he was their best player, their best forward of that Winnipeg series. But he—he he just, I just think it is a—it's a, tougher for him because he's a smaller player in the playoffs. He's just got to ramp up the intensity. He's got to make up his mind. Nothing's going to stop him. So, uh, and he—he's capable of doing that. So I don't think either of those players have a confidence issue. It's—it's it's something else. With it's a preparedness for Nugent Hopkins. Just you know, getting ready for battle and doing it. And Hyman, he's hurt. DeHarnay has um, really struggled in a way that I didn't think he, he had not struggled like that all season long, as he did against the Kings. He had been remarkably sound with the puck and he got, he got the jitters in the playoffs. He got jittery with the puck and sometimes jittery on defense. And on his show, Bob Stoffer alluded to the fact, I don't think he came right out and said it, but he hinted awfully strongly that he thought the refs had it in for DeHarnay, that they were targeting him. And maybe DeHarnay felt the same thing. He got a lot of, away with a lot in the regular season in terms of stick work. And he just didn't, I didn't see that kind of, that uh, super aggressiveness coming out of him. Perhaps fear of getting a penalty was holding him back. He's got to play that way. Against the the Vegas four check, the way he's going to beat it is with fierce body checking, physical play. And he's able to do that. He did it in the regular season. But if he can't execute that, he's not going to stick handle or pass his way out of a lot of the problems. It's not his game. And so I am worried about that um, coming up again as it, as it came up against the Kings. Stuart Skinner, I thought, had his best game in the last game. His, um, he, he looked to me tentative in the net um, for much of that series. We didn't see his best game. He looked like he was, wasn't as quick and assertive as he might have been and as square to shots as he might have been earlier in the year in his best games. I think we did finally see close to his best game, though, in game six. I thought he looked really good until the um, unfortunate thing with the stick happened where his stick got slashed. And it's interesting. I was watching that again. That happens quite a bit before wow, the slashing of that stick. That. It happens. And he, did he not notice um, that his stick was broken? He was, and I saw he was banging it on the ice a few times. Like he, he, he clearly broke thought, it then. <laughs> well, he clearly thought this can happen though. Like you don't know your stick's broken. I've, it's happened to everyone who plays <laughs> hockey and all of a sudden you realize, oh, my stick's broken. And um, anyway, he, he rebounded from that. He did come up with his best game. Um, he made a couple big saves after that that monster sure error. And so I'm not, I'm a little, so the, I'm kind of wavering on him, whether he's a player of concern. Um, he Because he did play so well on that last game and he, and he went through that broken stick incident and came through it on the other side, maybe he's going to be okay because they're going to need him to play his A game more often than not in the playoffs if they're going to win the Stanley Cup and get by teams like Vegas. They got by LA without him doing that, but it's it's mainly because Corpus Allo cratered in the last two or three games and started to let, he, you know, Skinner was the better goalie in some of those games. Absolutely. Because, because Corpus Allo let in some 
like, I mean, if, if Campbell or Skinner had let in those outside shots, people would have yeah. lost their minds at Edmonton. So, oh. but I am still a little on the fence with Stu. Uh, um, less so than after, than I was uh, before game six, but I was, I'm, I have my concerns there. I well, have a really great quote from Stu that I, I can't give you verbatim, but he was talking about all the things that he learned from that series, and he just listed off just bullet points, you know, good and bad things, right? The, how the first game got away on him and, and uh, uh, how he coughed up the puck, you know, the broken stick, the bad luck of the broken stick, and uh, but also the things that he learned in terms of, you know, I can give up a couple of one or two goals that I uh, uh I'm not happy with, but still win a game, uh, like game two. And uh, uh, it, it, his balanced mindset, and he said, I'm a better man for all of these things, right? And this is a guy who's still uh, formally categorized as a rookie. And so this is uh, uh, a guy who sounds like a young Ken Dryden, you know. <laughs> At least he did in that clip. And he just had a, had a real sort of balanced view on stuff and boy, if you like that in the goaltender, I know I sure do. Uh, just you know, I mean, goalies, we goalies have a, have a reputation to uphold for being a little bit off of our rockers, but I kind of like the stable ones. Uh, <laughs> and Stu is all of that, and he did recover. And you know, he made a save about eight seconds after Yamamoto's goal. It's really the only chance Kings had, but the Oilers screwed up right off the face off right after the goal. And Skinner made a huge save. And, I mean, if they score then, you know, get it right back like that, all bets are off. And and uh, so he came up with the, you know, the giant save at the right moment, and that's really all, you know, what thing you want most from your goalie. And, and, and you – sorry, go ahead, finish off, Bruce. No, I'm done. Uh, well, I was going to say, here's where I'll, I'll throw in what I think is maybe the elephant in the room and, and has to be Vegas's biggest weakness. Um does Laurent Brassois strike fear into the heart of any Oiler or Oiler fan? Like, no disrespect to the young man who's, who has played pretty well, had a pretty good series against, I'll say it again, Winnipeg. Um, his old team. Yeah. But his, other, is, his other old team. His other old team. But this is a guy, he's a career NHL backup. Like, uh, against, you know the top scoring team in the NHL and the number one power play in history. Um, maybe he'll take this and shove it up my behind. <laughs> but when I, when I look at it, um, um, I, I don't think there's any kind of a mismatch at all in goal between these two clubs. If anything, the Oilers have an edge and that's with a rookie in the starters net. He's such a weird goalie. When you look at his, his uh, stat line of career stat line. He he alternates seasons when he has like a 920, 915 save percentage with these 895, 895, 883 save percentages. He seems to be really hot and really cold. Now, he could be on a hot streak. He certainly, he had a 915 save percentage in Vegas. They were raving about him. They, they say he outplayed Connor Hellebuck in that series. And uh, I, I suspect that he did. So he's this goalie that seems to be super hot and super cold. And that's my memory in Edmonton. They said there was a lot of early goals on him that he was able to shake off. Um, so maybe he's learned to do that as well, like to to recover from a, a mistake early in the game and then get it together. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting, Kurt. Goalie, I don't, I just have no idea how Laurent Brassois could just be outstanding, right? He could just come in here and and turn out the lights of the Edmonton Oilers. But that's, that's not his track record, though, right? Well, he does get hot. Oh, he's got no track record. This is his first. Yeah, he played one game in the playoffs before this year. One game, yeah. he came in in uh, 2017 when I think it was the game where Edmonton got stomped 7 nothing. In San Jose, after they'd shut out them, the two previous games, Cam Talbot had shut them out, and then the, and we got absolutely crushed in game four, and I think that was his one game. And now all of a sudden, here he is, 30 years old, uh, just you know, a few weeks ago, and here he is, uh, you know, number one goalie, available goalie for uh, uh, a good, strong playoff contender. I mean, I'm... I'm Congratulations to to you, Laurent, for winning your first playoff series. Hmm. Uh, I covered this guy when he was an oil king. Interviewed him, you know, and chatted with him and uh, a bit. And uh, uh, always followed his career with interest. And, of course, he was an oiler uh, for uh, uh, a chunk of time. They got him by trade, and then eventually uh, uh, he moved along. But he's made a career out of it. He's played 122 NHL games, and now uh, he's played six playoff games and counting. Maybe he's one of these late bloomers. He's been a backup all this time. He's been a backup, and that's why he doesn't see the playoffs. But uh, yeah. maybe it's such an opportunity he's been waiting for. Yeah, and I guess that's my point. He's been a backup his entire career because he's yeah. never been good enough to be a number one. It's no Trying disrespect the guy's still in the NHL. Right? But, <laughs> yeah. Well, there's been other goalies that have surprised. I mean, Steve Penny, remember him? It's one thing to do it over a series. Um, it's another thing to do it over multiple series. And as yeah. I say, he, he may shove this right in my face and prove me wrong, but it's, I think it's, it's a real advantage for such a dangerous offensive attack like the Oilers. Well, in Vegas, they're convinced that they, that the, you know, it's, playoff hockey starts with coaching and goaltending. And I just heard today on a Vegas podcast that the this is something where the Knights have it all over the Edmonton Oilers in terms of coaching and goaltending. These are two obvious areas of huge separation between Boy, the two teams. I I see them the opposite <laughs> on both counts. <laughs> well, goaltending is a little bit of a mystery. It's voodoo, as we know, but uh, they've got. Uh, and I remember uh, playoffs of '92 uh, and uh, Ed Belfort took Chicago to the Stanley Cup Finals, and his backup, little-used backup goalie, was named Dominic Hasek. <laughs> he just needed a chance on a team that was his own. And, uh, I mean, Mika Kiprasov is another of many, many examples. Cam Talbot, the Oilers got off in New York because he couldn't get over Lundqvist. Well, Lauren Persaud couldn't get over Connor Hellebuck. You know, I mean, yeah. maybe Anton he just Hubo needed a different right. look. Yeah, there's there's lots of stories of goalies suddenly getting hot. There's too many for my liking. With um, you know, and I do think we know generally what we get with Stuart Skinner, but yeah. like it's either going to be his average game or his a- above average to good game. Like he's that kind of goalie, and and that's that that's probably enough for the Oilers. Um, if if you can get at least to that above average game in four out of seven or five out of the seven games, um, yeah, we'll see with Laurent Brassois. Like I don't. He did let, I just, he was part of that trend of letting in early goals and with the Oilers. And, um, I, yeah, I, I, I think if, I think if the Oilers get average to good goaltending from Stuart Skinner, they win the series. 
yeah, I agree. And David, you make the best point about Brassois and why I'm sort of having a glint in my eye when I'm talking about him being a backup. But the, his stats going from really good to way below average to way above average. It's been every year of his entire career. It's yeah. been you know, well over 900 one year and well below 890 the next year, or below, certainly below 900. And uh, this is one of his up years, and uh, at least a little bit that he's played because he had to come back from, uh, I think, surgery this year, and he spent time in the minors, and now he's got his chance, and he says uh, he's making the most of it. So, Yeah. All right. Well, Wednesday night, Wednesday night, and uh, then Friday and Sunday. Are those the next mm-hmm. games? Is that how? Yep. Is it Sunday? I'm hearing All Sunday right. and then Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Sunday it was always going to be Sunday here, even if it had been Tuesday, Thursday, because there's uh, uh, Rogers' uh, place. We've got uh, Shania Twain. Yeah. On uh, so Friday, I don't know how they're going to do the watch party. That could be uh, that could be interesting because that's oh, man, it's unbelievable how many people they got out to those things. Pack the building and then they pack the terrace. It's uh, astonishing to see. You know, even my wife, who's a pseudo hockey fan, looked at the at the uh, watch party the other night here on television. She said that would be awesome. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's like I think everybody looks at it that way, right? So it is the most amazing phenomenon. I guess how many other NHL cities have that going on, where where the rink is rink is full on game night? Is that right? It's a, it's a common thing now. It's become that way. Yep. I don't know how many other cities fill the whole arena as opposed right. to just the bowl, though. Right. Yeah. Amazing. That is an amazing. We we it, it is a fantastic thing. I mean, uh, when people fought for the downtown arena, this is what we hope to see. We hope to see downtown come alive like this on game night and and bring the whole community together. And it's happening right before our eyes. So that's really fantastic. And I can tell you, all the Oilers fans out here in the West Coast have come out of the woodwork. <laughs> it's pretty fun. <laughs> Seen some flags, are you? You do, yeah, yeah. yeah I've, I've, I was at a baseball game on Saturday uh, here on the island, and uh, there were three different people were wearing Oilers uh, jerseys. So. Nice. I saw a guy drive by me yesterday flying Leaf flags here in Edmonton. So, brave fellow, but he had reason to be happy. I actually gave him the thumbs up 19 or, well, 18 years without a <laughs> single series win in the playoffs. I think uh, the only team in, the, in this cap era that Toronto won a series ahead of was Seattle. And Seattle won their first series the next day in their second season in the league. <laughs> <laughs> and Toronto, but so good on them, I guess. But, uh, gents, I got a trivia question for you. Uh, Jay Woodcroft mm. is uh, uh, been Oilers head coach for a season a bit. This is the second playoffs, and he's won a playoff series, at least one series in each of his two years. And the question is, which Oiler coach was the last one to win a playoff series two years in a row? Ooh. <laughs> well, isn't it? It's isn't it Muckler? No, a little after Muckler. Ron Lowe? You got it. Oh, the win, Kurt. Twenty-five years ago, ninety-seven, they beat <laughs> Dallas in overtime in Game Seven. The famous Todd Marchant goal and the famous Curtis Joseph save. And then ninety-eight, when they upset Colorado on back-to-back shutouts by Curtis Joseph. In games six and seven, which I think was his 30th birthday. And uh, since then, I mean, the Oilers made the playoffs three more years in a row after that, but they couldn't beat Dallas, who they play in the first round every year. And just until his last run with Ken Holland, they never even got in the playoffs two years in a row, let alone win a series. So 
Last year, they finally won a couple of series, and now this year, we've got another one, and it's starting to feel like a build. Is a yes, indeed, especially, and now we have the Avs and the Bruins out of the playoffs, and the odds makers wow. and the, the um, analytics people are saying <laughs> the teams most likely to make it to the Stanley Cup Finals are the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Edmonton Oilers, and I'll tell you what, you don't want to get ahead of yourself, although I have made a prediction already, the Oilers are going to win the Cup, so... But, you know, predictions are predictions. But that would be fantastic. For That would be the most thrilling um, hockey experience in the NHL, I think, that the that the Edmonton Oilers and Toronto Maple Leafs fans have had. Um, at least, you know, well, living memory in <laughs> Toronto. But I just think it'll be out of this world. Intense. I think Canadian fans would love it. I'll bet you Gary Bettman's not a major fan of it. Uh, he wouldn't mind. I I don't suppose that a one-off that the whole whole country of Canada is going nuts over hockey. That's not all bad by any means. But uh, yeah, 56 years ago tomorrow, we're, we're podcasting on May 1st. 56 years ago tomorrow, May 2nd, 1967, Toronto won their last cup. So I've got a Maple Leafs uh, Maple Leaf Gardens calendar on my wall from that season. That was gifted to me uh, some time ago. And because it's uh, 56 years, it's a perfect cycle for the same weekday. So I've had it on my wall all season long and enjoying the old the old trivia and all-star teams and, stu- and such from those days. And uh, 56 years, though, man, oh, man. Yeah. My I, late, any- I remember my- it. Do you? <laughs> no. I don't, but my late father was a Leafs fan because when he grew up in the 30s and 40s, that was the only game you could get on the radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for years, he had an autographed Johnny Bauer jersey that hung in his porch. So yeah, Wonderful. my dad was a Leafs fan as well because for for the same reason. Yeah, I uh, yeah, it's it's it would just be fantastic for for this to happen. We'll see what comes about. We shall see what comes about. My dad right. was a Leafs fan. My brother is a Leafs fan. I was a Leafs fan until the merger, and I had to choose. And the uh, choice was obvious. I was a season ticket holder of the Oilers, and Toronto had Harold Ballard. So Yeah, they lost me when they traded Daryl Sutton. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, that Leaf team with Roger Nielsen, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, that was uh, I was Darryl rooting for that team. Yeah, Dan Maloney and the, Tiger Williams. I, yeah. As for the NHL, Kurt, I, I think they, you know, you you have a point, and I and I think that they love it when U.S. markets do well. That said, yeah. they can bill in terms of billing this series to the U.S. They, America's superstar against Canada's superstar, it's an obvious peg for them, and um, I think that the excitement of that they might be able to sell that. Yeah, um, I just think the TV ratings will do what we expect they'll do when there's no American team in it, right? You're probably right. All right, gents, let's leave it there. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you guys. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.